one scripture. If you're able, we would like to read in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and the third verse, and we have some more to read after that, but we'll start with this. Genesis 3 and the third verse. Last week, we started talking about good and evil, and we spoke about good. This week, we're going to speak a little bit about evil, but we're going to end with good this morning so that you can enjoy the rest of your day. <clears throat> because God has, solution, has a solution for evil, and it involves his goodness. All right, in the third verse of this chapter, it says, but the fruit, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it. Don't eat of that fruit. Neither shall you touch it. Why? Because you'll die. If you eat from that tree of good and evil, death follows. It's, oh, isn't that amazing? That just the knowledge of good and evil that was in the garden, God said, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. That, that, that must have been serious business, right? Not of the tree of life you shall live, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. That must be powerful fruit, right? So we spoke a little bit about good last week, and evil will be this morning. And our point is we're trying to find a way forward as we talk about what we believe and why we believe it, it starts with these foundational principles. And these things are deep and they'll, they'll help your thinking and they'll help you get along every day in life. And the world we live in today is so messed up about what is good and what is evil. And to have a good sense, a good knowledge of what God says about this, it will help us make all the other decisions you know, I, I, the Lord has just impressed us that these are moral decisions, good and evil. This is the tree of morality. There's another concept that people talk about, which is ethics. And sometimes people make a distinction between morality and ethics. Ethics often has the connotation of human decisions and choices we make of right and wrong, but that, that affect our, 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 our daily lives, our civic lives, if you will, ethics, right? <clears throat> the cashier gives you a little bit too much change. You walk out the store. You find out that you got more change than you were entitled to. In one sense, that's an ethical decision. Do I go back in the store and do I return the amount that's not mine? That's, that's an that's a decision of right and wrong, but it's an ethical decision, right? But it's informed by, mor by morality. It's informed by good and evil. Good and evil are underneath everything. And so the common decisions we make every day about how to get along, what to do next, we need to understand what the Lord says about good and evil. Father, we pray that you continue to bless our study this morning. Thank you for the expression of faith so far. and. We do believe that there are hearts here that love God, and our desire is to um, let you speak to us, and then perhaps there are some that are still seeking God this morning. Lord, our desire is they would find a place, as some have said, of rest, a Sabbath in God, 
and that every day we could walk that way. We pray for that also, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Amen. Good and evil. I wrote down, you know, to understand evil is to do business with God. It's not that to understand good does not mean also that we do business with God, but when we get to evil, that's where the rubber meets the road. And we find ourselves either pleasing to God in his favor, or we find ourselves out of favor with God. So that's why I say to understand evil is, I mean, to really understand evil is to do business with God. It's that important. He said, if you eat from this tree, the fruit of this tree, you're going to die. So it must be quite profound, quite, quite, quite powerful to understand good and evil, really understand it. Before we continue, I, I've had uh, just a wonderful week of study. I'm, I'm studying some other things. And... Um, I, I, I thought to myself this morning before I came up, I was uh, <clears throat> reading some of what is written by what they call the church fathers of the first four centuries. You can find this online, uh, translations in English. Um, I was reading of uh, a dispute between, um, between two of the early church fathers and um, Fortunately, I'm not going to talk about that this morning <clears throat> because it goes deep into the weeds, but it's things that I need to understand. Uh, but you can be thankful that you don't have to hear a uh, lecture this morning on the debate, the debate between Pelagius and um, Const, uh, um, Augustine uh, over original sin. So thank you, brother. Thank you for for going elsewhere this morning. <clears throat> but I'm going to be speaking this morning about some, some of, of what the Bible has to say about the nature of evil, how, how evil is conquered by good. How, how, that's the good part of the story. But we, we need to understand evil to do business with God. A little bit about the ground of evil today, where, where evil is occupying today and how it's identifying itself. Why? So that we can know a little bit about how, how to interpret what is evil, how to be knowledgeable of what evil is doing. Why? Not because we're interested in macabre things, you know, uh, evil things, but we need to know Satan's devices. And there is a war today between evil and good like never before. And we are in the battleground. We're on the battlefield. And we need to know something about the adversary and what we're struggling with. But first, um, and, and, and then like I said, how good conquers evil. <clears throat> evil, as we said last week, masquerades as good. And this, when the Lord brought this to us, I was almost surprised by this, and I shouldn't be. It hides behind a mask. And it, in comparison to good, evil wants to be seen, but not as evil, it wants to be seen as good. That's its nature. Isn't that strange that evil wants to be seen as good? Why? Because it wants you to accept it. 
who in their right mind, I'm talking about people in their right mind, not in their wrong mind, but who in their right mind would say, ooh, sign me up, I want to be evil. Nobody in their right mind would say that. So evil masquerades as good so that you will accept it. And that's where it becomes quite difficult sometimes in the world we live in today to understand evil because it's constantly seeking to masquerade as good, to occupy the ground of good. Evil, if it were to occupy the ground of evil, then nobody in their right mind would accept it. They would say, no, no, I, I don't want that. And so it wants to occupy the ground of good without the sacrifice of becoming good. That's what evil does. It wants to remain evil, but it just wants to dress up in sheep's clothing. So we say that so we understand that's the nature of evil. Why? So that we're on the lookout, we're on the lookout for evil masquerading as good. Now, it doesn't make us paranoid, and it doesn't make us conspiracy, conspiracy theorists. It doesn't make us that. But we do need to know when evil is masquerading as good. And the Lord will help us with that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And we want to talk a little bit about how it's presenting itself today in the world. Matthew chapter 3. First several verses there. We're talking about the ground of evil today. This is not a subject that a preacher likes to preach on. We'd much rather preach on the love of God, the saving power of God, the goodness of God, the alternative that God presents to evil. I'd much rather preach on that. But this is necessary because of the world we live in today and because evil masquerades as good. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's what John was saying. That's what he was preaching. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, a leathern girdle about his loins, his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out of him Jerusalem and all Judea and to the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan. Now listen. When, when he baptized them, they came out repenting. It was not baptism that re repented them. Their heart's desire was already to turn and to follow God. That's what they wanted. And so they came out with a repentant, confessing attitude. And based on that, then he baptized them. But when he saw many of the Pharisees now and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers. And people say, fire and brimstone preachers are tough. He called some members of his audience vipers, snakes. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he told the Sadducees and Pharisees, bring forth therefore meat, uh, fruits, meat for repentance. And don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. See, don't count on your lineage, your upbringing. Don't count on your Sunday school education. Don't count on your fact that your family was a member of church. Don't count on that. 
See, the same message today. Don't count on that. We all have to have our own relationship with God. It doesn't come through our parents. This is very important. The Lord is reminding me of this debate between these two fourth century theologians, and I'm not, I'm not going to go there. People get this stuff mixed up. And we say not to ourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. If God wanted to raise up stones, he doesn't need you or your pride. He can take a stone and make that stone what he wants out of it. God can still do that. We have nothing to be proud of. Nothing that says, I am more righteous than the other person. Nothing. We need to let God be God. When we, when we presume upon God's righteousness and take something to ourselves and we say, well, my doctrine is more pure, or my understanding of the gospel, or my history, or my lineage, or the people I worship with, we take holiness unto ourselves that, that in other words, that really doesn't belong to us. We convert it. And this is what evil does. Evil converts good and makes another story out of it. God help us not to do that. Let God be God. Let us see ourselves as nothing more than a stone in comparison to God. And if he wanted to raise up a stone, he could do that. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees, therefore, Every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Indeed, I, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. The baptizer was illustrating the humility that's necessary to be a child of God. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. He'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Yeah. But he met these Sadducees and Pharisees, and they professed to be ready to be a child of God, and they wanted to be baptized. In those days, as today, baptism was a symbol that you're part of a community. And you can still see these ritual baths in Israel all over the place. And you would walk down in steps into a ritual bath. And if it were possible, it was meant to be baptized with running water, living water. And it was a sign that you were a member of a community, that you belonged, that you were the same as the others in that community. And these Sadducees and Pharisees that were coming to him did not have a repentant heart, did not want to be changed. They wanted to be recognized as a member of the community, probably for their own advantage, but they did not want to change. And so they were the evil masquerading as good. This is how evil does. It seeks fellowship with good. Good does not seek fellowship with evil. 
But ironically, evil seeks fellowship with good. Why? So that we would be deceived by the evil. The good does never try and deceive. The good simply presents itself as good. Amen. Now, you'll have to translate this in your own time this week. When things come up in your life and in your children's life and your family's life and that, and remember how evil works and how good works. And then we can properly, we can rightly divide the word of truth in our lives because we know how these things work. This is true more than ever. I said the ground of evil today, how is it working? Paul said that he was all things to all people, that he might win some. But he knew where he stood. He was not compromising good with evil. He was not confused that evil is masquerading as good. And so when he said, I become all things to all people that I might win some, it was not by accommodation with evil. And that's still true today. There is a difference between all, between all things to all people and accommodating evil. There's a difference between those two that we might win some. We don't need to win some by accommodating evil. Now, we had this discussion this morning in one of the classes. It is not necessarily true that by continually being willing to being all things to all people, that we, at the same time, are accommodating evil. It's, the two don't always equate. And sometimes folks that love holiness, they get quite concerned that when you hear the words, I'm all things to all people, that that must somehow involve some kind of accommodation with evil. And that's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true. Now, it can be true if our motive is not pure. Okay. If our motive is simply to be accepted, ironically, that is the same motive that evil has to be recognized. Evil simply wants to be accepted. And so it, masquer it masquerades as good in order to be accepted. So our motive, when we say, I want to be all things to all people that I might win some, our motive needs to be more than just being accepted. The scripture itself tells us that if you follow Christ, if you follow Christ, there's going to be a difference between your spirit and your motive and the spirit of the world that we live in. Mark it down. And for all of us at any age, that is true. It's, 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 it's as true as that, you know, if the world lasts, the sun's coming up someplace tomorrow. It's that true, that we're going to be different. And this, this is tough. This is tough. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But this is the, 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 the ground that evil is, is in today. It's masquerading, just as these were masquerading with John the Baptist. It's natural to want to be part of a group that is not evil. We're going to talk a little bit about this landscape that we're in today and evil and where it is in the landscape. There's nothing wrong. It's a human condition. 
for most folks to want to be part of something. Most of us are not really wanting to be a hermit in a cave. I wonder if hermits started out as part of something. And maybe they didn't like the something that were, they were part of, and so they decided that it would be better to be a hermit. But for most of us, we want to be part of something. Now, in the world today, to be part of something, I'll tell you what, the thing that, the thing that I want to be part of the most is the body of Christ. Of all the things I want to be part of, I want to be part of the body of Christ the most. That's number one. It informs all other things that I want to be part of. If there's a conflict between the other and this, then this must dominate that conflict. To be accepted as part of the body of Christ. And not simply accepted by you, although I do desire to be accepted by you. But more than that, to be accepted by this heavenly body of Christ, which is found in himself. That's number one. It informs all other parts of. And at any age of time, each of us might desire to be part of something different. When I was in fifth grade, I wanted to be accepted by my classmates. There was nothing evil about that. My family had certain rules, just like your families do. My wife and I talk about this, but as I was growing up in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, <clears throat> I, had, I, ha I had to go get a haircut every month. And it was the same haircut every month. There was no discussion about what kind of haircut I was going to get. It was, they called it, I don't know if they call it that today, but they called it a regular boy's. And everybody knew what a regular boy's haircut was. It was above the ear, it was above the collar. Um, it didn't hang down in your face. And so my mother took me to get a regular boy's. What do you want, Mrs. Goble? Regular boy's haircut. <laughs> we had rules just like your family has rules, right? You know? Now, as time went on, and we, we got more into the 70s, and we got past the 60s, oh, I was after my mom to let my hair grow over my ears. <laughs> that was what I wanted. And I, 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 you look at all the cool kids in school, they had hair growing over their ears and a little bit longer down here. And I said, Mom, can't, can't I do that? Nope. And I just kept, I kept working on her. You know, how fifth and sixth graders are. And finally, she knuckled under. <clears throat> I don't know if it did me any good or not, but, you know, now I'm back to a regular boys. <laughs> and my wife gives me my regular boys. She does a good job. There's nothing wrong with wanting to belong. Nothing evil about wanting to belong to the group. It offers genuine benefits to belong, to be accepted. Yeah. It allows you to learn other things because you're not fighting to be accepted. And if it's not evil to be accepted, you shouldn't have to fight to be accepted. You haven't heard this in a while. In and of itself, to 
be part of something. There are benefits to being accepted, to be part of things, to be acknowledged, to be admired, to be desired, to gain. Those are benefits and they're not wrong. There's not evil things about that. But because things are the way they are and people are the way they are and not everybody is part of the body of Christ, that group, right? There are, there are, there's baggage that comes with that acceptance, consequences. And this is probably what parents talk to their children about. Nothing wrong with being accepted by the group, but when it brings baggage, that's where we draw the line. We do not, we do not accept the baggage that comes with it. And if that baggage is wrapped in evil and it's masquerading as good, we're gonna name it. We're gonna identify it so that we don't imbibe it. Now we've done ourselves an injustice just to belong if we just take everything and we don't identify what is good and what is evil. There's no such thing as peer pressure, right? Without a desire to be part of a group. Now, there is a certain peer pressure in the body of Christ. Somebody said that the church in the body of Christ is an organism under high tension. The bonds are strong. It's like tempered glass. When it breaks, it takes a lot of force and energy to break it. The church is meant to be that way. The bonds between us are meant to be strong. They're, we are meant to be tempered together. The Bible tells us that. Dross is removed under the heat of the gospel. It's supposed to be like that. And so there is peer pressure in the church of God. And I hope it's not bad peer pressure because we're not meant to be the judge of good and evil. That hasn't changed. God still says, do not partake of the knowledge of good and evil. Just because Adam partook of that tree does not give us the right now to say, I am the author of good and evil. I determine what is good. I determine what is evil. It's just as wrong today to do that as it was for Adam then. God hasn't changed. This was an eternal precept. Don't partake of the knowledge of good and evil. That is my domain. So when we talk about peer pressure in the church, we are not meant to be spying on each other, to determine each other's righteousness. God is the author of that. And that doesn't leave us less holy or open to evil. That just leaves it the way God wants it to be. But there is also peer pressure in other groups in the world. And we need to be careful about that because if there is evil present, we need to understand whether evil is doing the pressing. And help our families and help ourselves. If evil is doing the pressure, I need to understand where that's coming from. Is it evil masquerading as good? Amen. So this is the ground of evil today. This is how it's working. This is how it presents itself. Evil knows that if it can camouflage itself, 
then it will hide as an angel of light. Mm -hmm. Evil today is also saying that if there's conflict present in a moral sense, then somehow good is at fault. Evil is saying this. If there's conflict between good and evil today, evil is saying, you know what? Good is a bigot. Good is narrow-minded. Good is, is, is old-fashioned. Good is um, self-righteous. Good, um, good is... Evil wants to defeat good. And so it says this about good if there's conflict today. But we need to understand there's always going to be conflict between good and evil. It's the nature of things. And if we want to be good, if we want to be God, there's going to be some conflict in our lives because we live in the world and the world has the spirit of evil. You say, is the world all evil? There, God has placed good everywhere, but there is a spirit of evil in the world today. There is no question that this is true. It's not in the church, so therefore it must be outside the church. There is a, an evil present in the world masquerading as good. And it's pressing on people just as much as there's peer pressure in any group. And we need to know what's doing the pressing. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether it's the church, because thank the Lord we can be members of his body. But if we want to be a member of something else, and again, to belong to something is not necessarily evil. If we want to be a member of anything else, the question then is what are we seeking to join and why? Okay. This is how good and evil is working today. Evil is the corruption of what is good. Without good, there is no evil. Why? Because evil wants to masquerade as good. Evil wants to be an angel of light. Evil wants to be the, the, the lamb's clothing on the dragon spirit. Without good, there is no evil. Evil is the corruption of what is good. That's why we need to know the definition of good so we know what the corruption of it is. Evil always turns away from God and toward the self. Now, that doesn't mean the self is evil. I'm saying that evil will always turn the self away from God. That makes sense, doesn't it? And turn the self toward the self. Evil has this nature. On the other hand, good always turns the self away from self toward God. So when we're making decisions this week, just mark it down. Evil always wants to turn the self away from God. Good always wants to turn the self toward God. Which direction are we going in any of our decisions? Romans 7, verse 7. This lesson this morning is just a little bit about how evil and good operate, that we might know the difference. Romans 7, 7 what Paul said, <clears throat> a little bit about evil. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. 
For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. And whether it's the law that Paul knew, or our conscience that we have today, I had not known lust unless something informed me. Evil today wants to steal your conscience. Just as evil wanted to convert the law. This is its nature. It wants to take what it's right and make it wrong. It wants to take your conscience, steal it, and convert it. We need to know what good is. Our conscience needs to be informed by what is good. We need to know when our adversary is trying to change our conscience from good to evil. It steals what is good. It redefines what is good. Evil does. It corrupts the good. God says love has a certain meaning. We talked about this last week. One of the ways to know the goodness of God is to know what the love of God is. What evil is doing today, it's taking the idea of love and it's, con it's converting it. It's, it's perverting it. Evil is transforming what God says about love, and evil is making that into something else. That's why we need to know what God says about things. We need to know what God says about love. Because the world today will change the definition. Because it likes to distort or convert good to evil. Good doesn't need to distort anything. Why? Because good is God. And God is comfortable with who he is. He doesn't need to change. He doesn't need to change to be part of something. He doesn't have to masquerade. Why? Because he knows that what he is in the end will win. That's why I say there's various ways you can go in life. Choose God's way. Because in the end, God wins, always. He's never lost. Satan always, Satan will lose. Always is going to lose. So whatever's in the world today that is, is being converted by evil and trying to masquerade as good, know the difference because God is always going to win. I want to be on the winning side. Amen. Evil seeks to, to distort good. And good seeks to clarify what is evil. That's why we're doing this this morning. God wants to clarify what's right and wrong. Evil likes to make things confused. And so you come to the place and you go, Brother, I just don't know which end is up anymore. I feel so discouraged. I feel so cast down. I, I just feel like we're not making any progress. Not only are we treading water, but we're sinking. I, I, and, and I just don't know which way is up. Did God save you from sin one day? Did he show you evil and did he show you good? And you think of all the things that God has done for you. Was that real? Yes or no? Okay then the confusion that you're speaking of today possibly is evil masquerading as good, trying to unclarify, trying to make things cloudy. 
God wants to clarify. Satan wants to make them cloudy. That's how it does. That's the landscape that evil is in today. Good doesn't need to dis distort evil. It just needs to, ex to expose it. But evil, on the other hand, can't meet what is good without trying to distort it. We're in a war then, in a landscape, and it's not of our own choosing or making, it's just the nature of things that we're in a war. <clears throat> There's three things about this war. There's a battlefield. And on the battlefield, one side seeks to dominate the other. That's the way life is. Evil wants to dominate good. Good exists to dominate evil. It's a battlefield. And the battlefield is in us. Or at least we're on the battlefield. And it's up to us which side of this battle we're going to be on. Are we going to be on the Lord's side or the adversary's side? It's real simple. And as we go out from here and we're in the world and we're living our life and making decisions in that, we all have to ask ourselves the question, which side am I on? Am I making excuses for evil in order to be part of something? If that's the case, we're on the wrong side. Or am I willing to be present in a battle on the battlefield. Battles are messy, they're bloody, they're chaotic. That's the nature of a battlefield. But at the end of the day, God wins this battle, the smoke clears, and the last one standing is God. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Right? that I am God. Still true. So when the enemy says, I'm so confused, or it's, it's the enemy trying to, we need to recognize we have an adversary on this battlefield. Just because the Lord has saved us and put us in his body doesn't mean that somehow we're now immune from the battle. If anything, we are now in the battlefield. No, look, we've changed sides. We used to be on the wrong side. Now we've changed sides. Guess what? When there's two sides on a battlefield, they fight each other. And the Lord still says, the battle is mine. The Lord still says that. But it, we're on his side, and so there's an enemy that now opposes us. We used to be on the wrong side. We were fighting the battle on the wrong side. Now we're on a different side. So guess what? This is not going to be easy. We are not now immune because we are on the right side. In some sense, the battle is more clear and present now than it was before. So we can't say to ourselves, you know what? I'm just getting so worn out. I'm so weary and well-doing. I'm just so, just so worn out. Just, I've heard people say this, brother, I need, I need to take a break from church. That's just too hard, brother. I, 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 brother, I don't want to lose my salvation. I just need a vacation from church. I just, need to, I just need some time. You're in a battle. 
It's a war. There's spirits fighting on this battlefield. You chose to be in it. Why? Because it's still the right decision. Because at the end of the day, our side wins. And I want to be on the winning side. Therefore, I chose to get out of the evil side and onto the good side. I knowingly made that decision. Somebody told me one time, they said, you know what? All you people are brainwashed. You don't know why you're here. You believe crazy things only because somebody taught you what you now believe. <laughs> you ought to hang out with me during the week and we'll study fourth century theology together. Nobody taught me that. Why? Why are you doing that, brother? For me, for my interest, my hobby, right, I still want to know what's true. I wasn't brainwashed by another person. And it wasn't that one day, you know, I temporarily lost my mind and all my faculties. And ever since then, I've been reluctant to regain them because somehow I feel this peer pressure or whatever. Now, I, I had to tell somebody, no, I knew what I was doing when I made the decision. And I have not woken up 40 years later. I don't know how long was Jan Johnny Appleseed under the tree. Was it 20 years or whatever it was? I haven't woken up four decades later only to discover that I was insane when I made that decision. And some decades earlier, I should have gotten out when I could, when I recognized my insanity. It's never happened to me. To me, that's offensive that you think that somehow I was so ill-informed and so under somebody's sway that, that I was induced to make this decision somehow uh, 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 like it was fraud. That's offensive. You are now claiming that my mind was somehow warped. No, uh, no, 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 here's how it goes. I found myself on the wrong side of the battle. I was tired of seeking truth on the wrong side of the battle and finding none. And so when the Lord in his great mercy and grace showed me that there was another side to this battle, where truth really was present. I said, sign me up for that good decision. Still true today. Still true today. Now, it's just like anything else in human society, in human uh, uh, organisms, relationships, and so forth, and, and, and communities and human communities. Any human community has rules and regulations and way it does business. This is true in any human community. But the essence of why we switch sides between good and evil still remains the same. Amen. Praise God. We're on a battlefield. God is not at fault because sometimes we find ourselves deep in this conflict between good and evil. God is not at fault. 
And when bad things happen to good people, God is not at fault. And God has not lost his power just because bad things happen. Hasn't lost his power. Anybody here ever suffer some serious setback in life? God has not lost his power. That just means you're human. It doesn't mean that God has lost its power. It means you're human. In some sense, we have the privilege to having suffered loss, to make sacrifice in some sense so that one day we can help somebody else. God is not at fault. God hasn't lost his power. Evil is at war with good. There's a battlefield. God hasn't lost his power. And we still have free will. Thank the Lord, even though there is good and evil, we have free will to choose the good. Being free to choose the good means we are free to suffer loss just as much as we are free to, to gain. You can't have one without the other. If you say, I want to gain, I want to be with God, I want to be on the mountaintop, I want God to solve my problem, then you must be willing to suffer loss. It goes with the territory. And if we say, I am not willing to suffer loss, then we're putting constraints on God that he does not place on himself. We have to be willing to suffer loss. Jesus lost his life. He was beaten. He was misunderstood. He was by his own family. He didn't gain any material wealth. He had no assets to pass on to anybody. And yet he was victorious in this war. Jesus. If we say we are followers of Jesus, we should follow his example. Amen. Yeah. Okay. The last thing is... God conquers evil. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. A little bit about the landscape, about the battlefield, and now the purpose of good. Good conquers evil. Amen. That's why we are positive about what we're doing. The 70 returned again with joy after Jesus sent them out, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now he said this after his disciples came back from witnessing to people. That's when he said this. Not some time before Adam and Eve. He said, as these disciples came back, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall as lightning. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. One of the byproducts is, is that serpents are subject to you, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice not in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. 
He said, I saw Satan fall as lightning. The purpose of good is to cast evil out. That's the purpose of good. To separate what is good from what is evil. Now, when he said, I saw Satan, Satan fall as lightning, we hold it to believe, and we believe it's true, that the place that Jesus was referring to was the human heart. The men and women that heard the gospel that were on the wrong side and that the Lord witnessed to to change sides, when that happened, Satan fell as lightning from their heart. Let me ask you a question. How, how long does it take for lightning to get from heaven to earth? Quick, right? Fast. Nanoseconds to get from heaven to earth. Isn't that interesting? Satan fell, as it were, from a heavenly place back to an earthly place. And the purpose of good is to cast out what doesn't belong in heaven into earth. It doesn't mean earth necessarily is evil, but it's definitely not in heaven. And if we say lightning goes quick, then evil is meant to depart from us that quick. And not little by little. And not some of it, but not all of it. When God does a work, he does a complete work. And when Satan was cast out of the heavenly condition, which is the heart condition that God desires in us, he cast it out of the heart. We were left without evil in the heart. That's why Jesus said what he said. If somebody says, brother, I think it means something else. You have to decide how quick does lightning travel and from which direction is this going? And why did Jesus say this when people came back and said, even the devils are subject to our name or to, or to thy name? Jesus, he still wants to cast Satan out as lightning that fast from our heart. And, and so that God now takes up residence on that heavenly throne. Satan wants to occupy the throne that belongs to God, which is the human heart, the seat of our soul. If that's what we're using heart for. This idea that is present in some, some way today that somehow we are all kind of a mixture of good and bad. And the goal in life is to be more good than bad, to let the good dominate the bad, to be kind of a kind person. There'll be times when you steal and curse and you, you, you sort of let things go and you throw pots and pans. And th th there'll be times like that. But on balance, you, you're just trying to get things so that at the end of the day, it's more good than bad. Satan is not falling as lightning in that calculation. Jesus could have said, I, saw, I see more good than evil going on here. That's what he could have said. I see, I see, I, I, I see, I see a, a simple majority going on here. There's just a little bit more evil than good after you all went out. That's a, that's a human idea. I see just a, you know, just a little bit more than good. You know what? Look, yeah, I understand that you're going through a really evil time right now, and, and evil has 
just dominating the way you're thinking. Let, let, let God come in and, and let, him, let him put more good on the scale. You know, let him put more good on the scale. Uh, I'm looking for the lightning program. I'm looking for the lightning program. Take it all and make it quick. And then give me some power and some grace so that it doesn't come back. That's, that's what I'm looking for. And you say, God, do you, still, do you still have that program available? And God says, yes, that's, that's the way I have designed it. That Satan falls as lightning from your heart. Amen. Now, earlier I said something about it's hard to, you know, come to church, I guess, sometimes. And we're all here talking about these heavenly things, and sometimes that can be difficult. And one of the reasons is what Paul said at the end of chapter 7 in Romans. If we're still walking after the flesh, if we're still motivated by self, and, and we find ourselves turning more to self, to God, keep in mind, evil always will turn toward self. Evil will never turn toward God. And good is the other way around. Good will always turn toward God first and not choose to please self. Good is that way. Because why? Good is God. All right. Now, we come into this place and we, 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 we're part of this community. And Paul said in Romans chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death or flesh? Because on the one hand, I want to do what is good, and on the other hand, I'm confronted by my, myself. And the two are at war with each other. They're at conflict with each other. And then in chapter, he says, chapter 8, therefore, now there is no condemnation. Why? Because I walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. I, I still have free will. I allow myself the possibility that I can walk after the Spirit. And when I walk after the Spirit, there is no condemnation. There's no war. But this thing that we do is going to be hard if there is a war between the flesh and the Spirit. It's going to be hard. Why? Because good and evil are now actively warring on our battlefield. And, 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 and we are, in a sense, switching sides. The con in the confusion of the battle and the chaos of the battle, we're having difficulty finding the ensign. The ensign was the battle flag. And in the battle, it was intended that one person was in charge of the battle flag, and their job was to keep that battle flag visible so that that side knew we're still standing. And even in the chaos and the smoke and the, the din of the battle, that battle flag was intended to be held high so that the, the right side knew that we're still standing. And if the flag fell, then somebody knew they've gotten through all of our ranks to where the battle flag was because it was to be protect, protected. And we're lost. Satan 
wants you not to be able to find the ensign, the battle flag. He wants you to not be able to find it. He'll, he'll use every scheme at his disposal. He'll say the church is wrong, the pastor is wrong, the teacher is wrong, the husband is wrong, the daughter, the, 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 the husband, the, the wife. The, the, it, Satan always wants to masquerade as good. It's got to be somebody else is the villain, right? Not me. That's how Satan does. He masquerades. And while he's saying that, I don't know that it's this hard, really. We can turn and the battle flag is still flying. And what did Jesus say? His banner over me is? That is the standard. It's a battle standard. The original word of the word standard is nothing more than flag. His banner over me is love. His standard over me is love. It's still flying. It'll never fall. There's nothing that we go through, nothing that Satan can do to cause that flag to fall. It will always stand. There will always be reinforcements. Always. When we're in need of a reinforcement, God will send his Holy Spirit. And good will always dominate evil if we will allow it to happen. We shouldn't be so confused by the din of the battle to say, I can't find the standard. I, can't, I, I must have made a mistake. I must be on the wrong side of the battle. No, you're still on the right side of the battle. You just need to find the flag. That's walking in the spirit. But if we're so lost in the din of battle, we're actually on the other side and we, can't, we don't know and so forth. It's going to be hard. This life's going to be hard. It's designed that way. Why? So that bad cannot masquerade as good. It's designed. Evil is designed to confuse us and masquerade as good. But I want to tell you something. If you love truth and you love that standard, good will always dominate evil. Let God be true. And the rest of the battlefield be what it is. <clears throat> I just want to be on the right side. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for that.